Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. The stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas but also in Oklahoma, Kansas, and yes, even West Virginia. This is the Big 12, home of the Lone Star State, the Heartland, and the Appalachians. This is the unofficial conference of the hand signal, where they put their horns up at Texas, and at Oklahoma, they're sure to point them down. Where it's guns up at Texas Tech, and the stare of the frog at TCU, the predatory bear claw at Baylor, and the cyclone swirl at Iowa State. Fans of this conference let you know not only that they support their squad, but also, it's on. It's a conference where they'll yell, Go Pokes! Let's Go Mountaineers! Rock Chalk Jayhawk! Sick'em Bears! Boomer Sooner or Hook'em Horns! Riff Ram and Give'em Hell, TCU! And at K-State, you're simply family. Bang and Bertha has different meanings at different schools. In Austin, it refers to members of the Longhorn Band hitting the world's largest bass drum while in Lubbock, it means clanging the chimes of achievement after a Red Raider score. While at other schools, it could certainly mean something else. Paddle people at OSU also do some pounding as they firmly beat the padded wall enclosing the field at Boone Pickens Stadium. At TCU, they don't need a drum or a bell. There's no paddling, but the decibel levels, much like the spirits of their bleacher creatures, are raised and rockin' as the Froghorn blasts a reminder that you're in Fort Worth and should fear the frog. Get your guns ready for a Wild West showdown at Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. And Mountaineer Man in Morgantown, you can be assured he's got his musket always loaded and ready for bear, or Baylor Bears to be precise. There's the Red River Rivalry, Bedlam, Farmageddon, the Sunflower Showdown, and the Revivalry among the many riveting rivalries in Big 12 backyards, where they play for the riches like the Golden Hat, the Bedlam Bell, the Governor's Cup, the Saddle Trophy, and the Chancellor's Spurs. The Big 12's colors are like the setting sun after a day on the ranch. We've got orange, both straight up or burnt, crimson and cream, or crimson and blue, green and gold, or cardinal and gold, just straight up royal purple, and of course plenty of black, which resembles that western night sky. Take your pick of mascots. We've got the gun-toting Pistol Pete of Oklahoma State, the decoratively horned Super Frog at TCU, Raider Red at Jones AT&T Stadium, Bevo in Austin, and Judge the Bear in Waco. In the land of cowboys, you must like horses, like Bullet and his spirit rider in Stillwater, or the masked rider and fearless champion of Lubbock. They'll ride in, but if you like to glide in, join the Sailgators on the Brazos River at Baylor. Run the steps in Ames, strike up the tune of the Wabash Cannonball, Fire up Smokey and help your student body get lit like the UT Tower. But please, hold your tortillas. Take me home, country roads, West Virginia. And on your travels, let us provide you with a bowl full of chips. Because the eyes of Texas are upon us, right now. Hey! Hey! 
Hey, college football fans. Sorry I got caught up there. Little stadium rock for you. I am Chappie, and I am joined by my co-host, The Bip, and we are a bowl full of chips, and we are kicking off Big 12 week. Bip, how is things in your world over there on the west side? Well, Chappie, I'm excited to be a part of this rodeo, and like I've said many a times before in my life, I'll try to perform for that eight seconds, and anything after that's going to be a bonus. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you're, you're really just going with uh, borrowed time at that point. <laughs> I myself am, am in similar conditions there, my friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the honeydew list is done. I felt like this weekend was pretty productive, spent some good time with the kids, um, I uh, got to spend some quality time with my my niece, your daughter. So that was uh, good stuff. And, uh, you know, with all this weekend stuff, it's it's fun and it's nice and relaxing. But I got to tell you, I look forward to this moment every week, buddy. So yep, yep, I'm ready to here. go. Yeah, it was a little bit of a whirlwind for me, a little hectic, a little crazy. But like you, uh, it's always nice to slow things down a little bit and talk a little uh, college football to uh, kick off our Monday. <laughs> That's right. So we say howdy to you college football fans, and we say it that way because we're going to focus on the Big 12 tonight, which half of that league, well, 40%, I guess, is the great state of Texas, the Lone Star State. So we welcome you to Big 12 country, the Lone Star State, the heartlands going up north to Oklahoma, Kansas, and then journeying down that country road over to West Virginia. <laughs> um, and no disrespect to West Virginians, driven through there a couple of times, it's a nice place, but it is a little bit of a sore thumb in uh, regards to the rest of Big 12 country. What do you think, Bip? Yeah, just a bit, kind of like Missouri and the SEC. But, you know, <laughs> you, you always got to have that extra team, and it, it, I suppose it's better to have uh, West Virginia than, uh, you know, maybe UTEP. Yeah, well, at least UTEP would still be part of the state of Texas, which would fit into the Big 12, although, you know, being at the bottom of Division One college football, <laughs> I, I know that West Virginia is a much, much, much better fit from a quality standpoint. So, yeah, and like like uh, Hermie and Rudolph, I, I think UTEP will never fit in. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Um, I think even the Island of Misfit Toys would look at them and like, what the F are you doing here? <laughs> Get out of here, freak. <laughs> so. Well, that's good stuff to uh, get us kicked off here. A little humor on a bowl full of chips. So here at BFC, we bring football closer. Uh, we want to thank you for listening. This is episode 18 for BIP and I. And the subscribers, BIP, they're starting to add up. The number of plays are increasing, and we keep it rolling. So we encourage you to join the program, commit to us, and sign your letter of intent by subscribing, sharing, liking, and reviewing us online. Yeah, and we're still kind of carving out our niche there, Chappie. So any listener, uh, if you want to let us know what that niche should be, what you like, what you don't like, feel free to give us some honest, open feedback, and we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have a back and forth with you. We'd just love to hear from you overall in general. So let us know. Drop us a tweet. Send us an email. Um, tell your friends. We, we appreciate any and, and all support and um, views and listens that we can get. Yeah, the best time to drop a tweet is uh, maybe when you're dropping a deuce. So, I mean, that's that's usually good uh, good cataloging time. So, uh, My favorite time. Right, right. So the question is asked, are there a lot of college football podcasts? Sure there are. Um, we don't want to say the market is saturated, though, because that would imply that there are too many. Uh, and 
we uh, we're not going to argue just to argue, uh, nor do we agree just to make each other sound smart. We're just two guys talking college football. But unlike some other casts, we just do a little bit more research. We put in the prep, and we kind of consider ourselves the Boise States, the TCUs, and the UCFs ready to take on the big boys and to answer any questions or critique anyone has for us. If you've been interacting on Twitter, uh, we've made some new friends in ACC country, BIP. Um, and so we certainly don't shy <laughs> away from anything uh, that needs to be corrected because we are humble enough to know that we are not perfect, but we give it a go every time. And uh, criticism only makes us sharper and stronger, which is going to make it better for you as a listener. So um, we're actually energized by it, and we, it's because we love this game and we crave the conversation. So, again, we thank you for listening. Now, Bip, we talk about this Twitter stuff, but where can they find us on Twitter? Tell us uh, your handle. Well, they can find me at BFCBIP. And how and about you, Chappie? I am at champion underscore lit. So anything and everything college football or anything just outside the realm of college football, things that we've covered, things that you wish we would cover, anything that's of news and notes, uh, send it to us, and we love the chatter. So you can also email us at bowlfullofchips at gmail.com. I know it's getting to that professional stage. We don't have the website handle just yet, but give us time. Bip and I, are, are we've got the momentum rolling, and who knows, maybe by this time next year, bowlfullofchips.com will be something that's uh, generating the clicks in our perfect world, Bip. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, fingers crossed, and uh, <laughs> boy, wouldn't it be great if next year we could have a bowlfullofchips.com? <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. And if if I could, uh, you know, say, hey, this is my this is my uh, second profession where I'm getting paid more than uh, you know, cost to buy a bowl full of chips. That'd be that'd be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So we love college football, obviously. We love to laugh. And in the spirit of Texas football today and this week, we love Friday Night Lights. Now, Bip, you and I, of course, we're close. We know each other's affinity for Friday Night Lights. But anybody, any listeners out there, if you have not done yourself the favor of watching this great TV series, please check it out. Um, I know it used to be on Netflix. I think they took it off. It might be on Amazon. Um, you can find it somewhere. You can rent it. Uh, you can... Do yourself a favor and get it. So, Bip, let's let's give a quick talk here about Friday Night Lights. So, um, a character that you may relate to in this high school football in Texas drama series. Well, uh, a character that seems to be all near and dear to me would be the the lovable loser Landry Lance <laughs> Clark. That's right. Um, he and I share many things. Uh, we share uh, the, a nice bit of intelligence. We share a lack of athletic ability. Um, I did not murder a man, which is nice. Um, but we also seem to <laughs> right. <laughs> we seem to uh, live in the friend zone uh, back in my single days, and uh, you know, so Landry was always the one that I could definitely relate to, um, for better or for worse, and. Uh, both from a social perspective and from my playing days in my athletic career. So I would definitely go with, with old Landry, the 
the guy who coach would always say, boy, he really tries real hard out there. And then you're <laughs> waiting for a, a second compliment to, to follow that up. And that never really comes uh, to fruition. So, <laughs> well, and uh, being in the South, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of scattered bless his hearts. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah. So uh, definitely if I were down in the South, I would have my fair share of, oh, bless his heart. <laughs> right. Well, and so. let me tell you, Bip, don't sell yourself short. You are, uh, you know, you're a terrible or you're a wonderful slouch um, <laughs> to quote Caddyshack. Yes. Uh, but uh for those who who don't know Bip on a personal level, very very intelligent guy, um, and and much more athletic than you give yourself credit for. You played lacrosse, man. So I know that uh, I'm a little bit out of shape now, but uh, even in my uh, quote unquote athletic days, I I would have taken a little bit longer to adapt to the sport of lacrosse than you did. Um, so so kudos to you, my friend. Well, um, cheers, thank you, Chappie. <laughs> and and not only that, but uh, you know, you talk about Landry being in the friend zone. If I could be in the friend zone with Tyra Collette, um, sign me up. So uh, <laughs> makes you makes you want to kill a man, huh, Chappie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if we got to kill a man. <laughs> I'm a steel well, trap. How about you, Chappie? Who uh, who did you identify yourself with? Uh, player, coach, uh, teacher athletic uh, position from the uh, the great series well i i would have loved to associate and and parallel the great um coach eric taylor but he had just that little bit more than i did in the coaching realm but i would i would say the the guy that i really latched onto as a character was matt saracen who was kind of the the quarterback that uh, you look at him and people don't give you much of a uh, a shot athletically or from a stature point nice guy people that everybody wants to uh, have on their team and and have everybody on their side um, but then I would like to say that you know when when pressed into duty and when and when my number was called I, I did my best and and felt that I performed uh, fairly adequate so uh, but oh I, yeah for sure I liked his I liked his character and I, I liked his position in the in the show so that was definitely my guy and I could definitely see that too. I, it, had they, if they ever do, uh, you know, ten years, twenty years down the road, sort of a, um, you know, follow up series, if you will, of where are they now, essentially, and pick up from that plot point. I could definitely see Saracen in, in your in your sh- uh, shape that you went through, Chappie, of joining the coaching ranks, and uh, you know, whether it be head coach or quarterbacks coach or whatever. I could I could see Saracen and definitely see the parallels and the character for from Saracen and, and yourself there. So good pick, good pick. And uh, I could totally see Saracen and Landry having a podcast out of their basement for college football or Texas football even. So yeah. And, and the, uh, the, the intro would definitely be a little bit of a uh, crucifictorious. Wouldn't you think? That's right. Yep. <laughs> Copyright <laughs> trademark. <laughs> and and just a side note for those that haven't seen the movie, I, I'm I I think you have uh you're not quite as into the movie, Chappie, but I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was really well done. Oh, it was a good movie. What good am book. one of my favorite uh, football? Yeah, and and you've had the pleasure of reading the book. I haven't gotten to that point, but uh, really interesting story about uh, that Odessa Permian team. Yeah. And side note about that: if you ever have an opportunity to uh, follow any of the documentaries or read anything about that Dallas Carter team from that year too. What a what a unbelievable story from both on the field and how good they were. Mm-hmm. What happened to those players, and then the the fallout um, following the 
the um, the law proceedings that um, followed those those uh, athletes, unfortunately. Yeah, they were basically the U of uh, Texas high school football, uh, Miami yeah, University. Yeah. So right. Um, so, but uh, yeah, and of course, uh, as guys, I'm sure we all would love to say that we are Tim Riggins, but uh, very few fit into that category, both for <laughs> uh, good reasons and not so good reasons. <laughs> right. So. Well, uh, let's give the rundown for what we're going to be talking about today. We've got news and notes, and so some uh, somewhat significant things have happened within the last seven days of college football news, so we'll get to that. And then we're going to get into our Big 12 round of traditions and stories, which from you, the listeners, we've heard that uh, this is something that is um, maybe a little bit unique and different, and, and we love the fact that we can do something that not all the other podcasts are doing. So we're going to give you the Big 12 round, and, and this BIP is, is one of my favorites because it involves Texas football. There seems to be a little bit deeper tradition uh, within these uh, Texas schools of the Big 12. So I'm anxious to get to that. Yeah, lots of pageantry. And so, like you mentioned, some deep-rooted traditions that we'll get into. That's right. Well, let's start with the news and the notes. So cue the uh, the headline news uh, sound. We're going to start off with some pretty interesting news. I don't want to call it big news. It's Big 12 news. But uh, we've got the Pac-12 and Big 12 in talks, and it's probably just talks for the short term, but uh, a four-team playoff where uh, really, this might be, Bip, the beginnings of what some are calling a super conference. So what they're talking about is having these two conferences match up their top four teams. So basically, uh, the number one from the Pac-12 playing the number uh, two from the Big 12, and then vice versa, number one from Big 12, number two from the Pac-12. And they would play these games in both the Rose Bowl and AT&T Stadium or uh, the Jerry Dome out in Dallas. Um, or Irving, Texas, to be technically correct. And um, also, the Big 12 and Pac-12 would play all their, or three of their non-conference uh, games against each other. Um, and then because there's a team disparity, because there's more teams in the Pac-12, there that would allow for six Pac-12 non-conference games against other teams. Um, what are your thoughts, Bip? I'll let you go on this first. Uh, is this a good idea? Is it a step in the right direction? Or do you think this is just uh, window dressing for something to gain some publicity for the conferences? Well, I think it's interesting. That's for sure. I I don't know how they're going to follow up with the execution of it, because I can already think right now of the selection process for the four-team playoff. If you take the top two teams from each conference, how does that play in? How do the... Uh, crossover games play into so if you have a scenario to where if you have three teams that each have one loss at the top yeah um how did those teams fare uh when the when they played the opposing conference as you're going into a playoff to play the opposing conference how does that factor in um where do the where does it lie in regards to um other tiebreakers for this and I'm kind of concerned as going into any super conferences because I think it just kind of sets it up more and more. Um, it takes away from from some of the, the tradition and what we have currently that makes college football so great today. 
Um, I kind of like having the flexibility to where you have these non-conference games. And I like the fact that they're going away from these potential cupcake games and making sure that you play a power five team. Yeah. But I would like it to, (laughs) yeah, I would like for them to jump around and be able to play someone from the big 10 one year, play someone from the sec another year and not just be stuck playing. So this kind of goes towards, what we have right now in the bowl system where the Rose Bowl is always going to be the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And, you know, other bowls are always going to have bowl tie-ins. I think we need to do away with that. So this kind of scares me off a little bit because I don't like having specific conference tie-ins for anything where it's set right. in stone to where you don't get to see some of those matchups yeah. um, on any given year because those are some of more, the more exciting games. I think this could work, but... I'd like to see a little more of the logistics be kind of hashed out before I I weigh in completely and give my support to this. But it's definitely interesting. And I like that the conferences are kind of talking this over of seeing what's the next big thing that we can do in college football. Yeah, well, and I I had kind of the same thoughts. I don't like the fact that they're monopolizing their schedule to just play the opposing conference because – that's one of the best things about September is you're seeing some of these cross country matchups and you're seeing these. Now I would be all for power five conferences only scheduling power five conference teams, but to limit it to one conference at a time, I don't like that idea. Even if you rotated it and said, you know, kind of like the NFL does like this year, the big 12s paying, playing the pac 12, the sec is playing the ACC and, and what, what have you, um, you know, but I don't even like that because, you know, it's parity is, is what drives college football. And, and I like that idea of having some of that diversity in the non-conference. Um, now, the other thing is, as this lends itself to the college football playoff, you're potentially giving these teams a 15 or 16 game schedule when you add in the idea that they can qualify for the college football playoff. And does this hurt those teams uh, from making that? So let's say you are a number two Oklahoma and you go undefeated and then you beat the Pac-12 number two and then you lose to the Pac-12 number one by, let's say, a field goal in overtime after a a bad referee call. Is that going to potentially hurt you in making the playoff or in potentially, you know, if you make the playoff, are these extra games going to be uh, a downfall for you? So um, right off the bat, gun to my head, I'm going to say I don't like this idea as it stands right now, um, but it's an entertaining idea. And I'm sure that it was really more an idea to, to generate revenue and to have extra money, because let's face it, both of those conferences are in need of some money making ideas compared to the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, so maybe a step in the right direction from a concept idea, but it certainly needs to be tweaked and it certainly needs to be worked out logistically, like you said. Yeah, and this is a little off topic, but I've never been a fan of deciding the the conference champion to be conference record of saying who comes out of that conference. Yeah. I've always been more of a fan of overall record. Mm-hmm. Now I see the merit for why they do that and why someone would argue for that. Right. But in this scenario right here, if you beat, if you're three, if you're in the big 12 and you beat um, a ranked USC, Stanford and UCLA team, but you have two losses in your conference, you could be on the outsides um, looking in compared to, 
teams that went one and two or zero and three against the Pac-12 in their non-conference, and similar to what they have today. But when you have three Power Five uh, teams that you're playing against in your non-conference, and you show well against that, you should be semi-rewarded for that. So, um, but again, I, I digress. It's a little off topic, but another thing that worries me for these, uh, you know, when you're when you're putting all your eggs in one basket for a conference against conference playoff tie-in. Yeah. How are those uh, tiebreakers going to be worked out? That's something that's what I'm most interested in. Yeah. Well, uh, moving on to our next item on news and notes, and this kind of is a similar theme. We've got non-conference matchup from the SEC Florida and from the ACC Miami talking about trying to move their opener up to week zero as a, a a brilliant idea to kick off ESPN's college football 150th year production that they've been working on and that they're going to unveil this fall. Um, I like, I think it's a good idea, Bip. I, I mean, I think this is a really cool matchup. What I dubbed the Brock Berlin bowl or, or other people have dubbed it. I'm sure. Yeah. I um, like that. But uh, so for those not in the know, Brock Berlin was a guy who signed with the university of Florida as a highly touted recruit and then transferred over to Miami and then played his former team. So um I, I, I think it's a great way to, to kick it off. I mean, no disrespect to Arizona and Hawaii who are giving us the first game of the 2019 season, but if you could start the official college football season with Florida and Miami uh, on a different time than uh, the Wildcats and the and the Warriors, then I think this is a great move for college football, and I don't see how this doesn't get moved up, being that ESPN is really the pen pusher in the sport. Yeah, and uh, going back to Brock Berlin for a second, what a great job he did of um, underachieving at both schools and really <laughs> yeah. di- disappointing both fan bases. But uh, I really like this as well. I-, I-, I think that both schools are definitely on the upswing. They're two exciting teams that have a lot of talent, that have a lot to prove. Yeah. And to move that up to be in the limelight, to be in the spotlight in week zero, I think is nothing but positive. I think it gets a lot of eyes on both programs. So it's a great move for both universities. I think it's great for college football and it's great for us fans to have such a marquee game kick us off in the uh, college football season. Yeah. And uh, Manny Diaz, uh, make sure you get your big boy pants on for that one, because like you said, national spotlight going against Dan Mullins Gators who are hungry in 2019 coming off a, a red hot finish to uh, the 2018 season minus the Missouri debacle. Um, and uh, I'm going to push Bip. Hopefully you're on board here, but let's push to get Brock Berlin to be the guy who is the tosses the coin on the opening uh, on the opening coin toss. Of the season. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. And get him one yeah. of those dual jerseys where one side is Florida uh, blue and orange, and the other side is the uh, the white uh, orange and green of the uh, the Hurricanes. <laughs> and then yeah, and, and a big question mark for his number. <laughs> and he'll say that the the call was both heads and tails. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so transfer market, thats uh, that was a little interesting in this last week. So I'm going to run down the the key transfers and give me some of your thoughts uh, afterwards here, Bip. So we've got Jonah Jackson transferring from Rutgers to Ohio State, really uh, portaling up to quote some of our, our friend podcasters. Um, Ohio State lost four starters, so that's kind of a, a big move for for them on the line. Mm-hmm. Alex Hornerbrook puts himself into the transfer portal from Wisconsin. Um, Louisville gets an All-American linebacker from the FCS level at Colgate, TJ Hole. Wyatt Rector transfers from Western Michigan to Florida State, uh, a Florida kid going back down to Tallahassee. Braxton Burmeister 
from Oregon to Virginia Tech. So there was some questions in the Virginia Tech quarterback room. Now Braxton Burmeister, who was a somewhat highly touted recruit, I believe he was a four-star recruit. His dad played quarterback at Iowa and is now um, a an NBC broadcaster, uh, Paul Burmeister. And then uh, Tron Folsom, this is interesting, putting his name into the portal, uh, leaving Troy. He was, I believe, their leading or second leading tackler. He was a second-team all-Sunbelt Conference player. Um, any chance that maybe he follows Neil Brown and his defensive coordinator, Vic Caning, who both left Troy to go to West Virginia, is, is West Virginia a potential stopping ground for Folsom, who I believe would be a grad transfer and could be eligible to play this season. So that would certainly be a big pickup for the Mountaineers talking Big 12. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, Tron Folsom, one of the best names in college football. That's a right? huge <laughs> loss for Troy. It would be a huge get for West Virginia and Neil Brown sure. if he does transfer there yep. or whoever, whoever, he, wherever he decides to go. They're getting a heck of a heck of a player. Um, right. Alex Hornerbrook's a little interesting. I didn't really expect him to perform all that well this year. I thought it was well within reason to see if he uh, got passed up in the spring or in the fall. So yeah. him him transferring surprises me somewhat, but on the other hand, it doesn't shock me. Yeah. I wouldn't be overly surprised if he were to try to go to Pitt, as Kenny Pickett hasn't uh, hasn't really impressed me. They're yeah. kind of pretty similar quarterbacks, have semi similar numbers. Uh, Hornybrook has uh, had a little better completion percentage in his career, um, definitely better yards per attempt. Yeah. So um, and he originally he originally committed to Pitt as well. So there's right. There's that that might be bringing him back home, so to speak. He's a Pennsylvania kid. Yeah, and I'm not sure if if he wherever he lands, if he's going to set the world on fire or or make much of a difference. But whoever wherever he goes, they're getting a you know a, an experienced starter, someone who has played big time football. So interested to see where he ends up going and uh, who his potential suitors are. Um, so. And he's a winner. I mean, save for this year, and he he had injury problems, and the the rest of his team was played with injuries and suspensions. So I don't want to chalk up this year's um, five losses to him. But you know, you're you are getting somebody who who has experience leading a team and leading a good team. I mean, he was a starter from uh, day one as a uh, I believe as a redshirt freshman. But um, and and you look at the other teams that offered him any scholarship coming out of high school were Rutgers and UConn. So if I'm Hornibrook and Pitt has an interest in me, and I can imagine that uh, Pat Narduzzi probably will have his door open to Hornibrook, um, that might be the best fit for him unless he, you know, maybe this is a, a, a situation where he wants to go to a place where he can become a coach someday. Maybe the concussions are too much for him, and he wants to go to a place kind of like Wilton Spate where you know he transferred to UCLA and you kind of scratch your head, but maybe that was a move to be with Chip Kelly, somebody who is an established coach and has a, a fairly good staff around him, and this is something he wants to get into later in life. Yeah, I, I can hear the Wildcat coming out uh, in you there, Chappie, uh, talking about Hornibrook as a winner uh, compared to what his stats are. I'm not overly <laughs> impressed with Hornibrook. Uh, he didn't beat us like, this year. <laughs> I'd like him to be a little more um, impressive throwing the football. But, uh, yeah, wh wherever he lands there, they could be getting a potential uh, upgrade. So curious to see where he ends up uh, calling home for 2019. Right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for news and notes. Let's get right to the Big 12 traditions here, Bip. And um, I'm going to go ahead and start us off with the eyes of Texas are upon, well, Texas. So the University of Texas in Austin, the capital of the Lone Star State, 
They are called the Longhorns, and um, their mascot, Bevo. Now, this is um, kind of an interesting mascot. There's controversy over where the nickname Bevo comes from. If you ask anybody from Texas A&M, they're going to claim that they gave him the mascot name because um, back in the 1913, I believe, they A&M shut out the University of Texas 13 to nothing and branded on his nose, they branded the score 13 to zero. Now, if you look at it, you put the one and the three together, it kind of resembles a B. And then you take the dash, They, uh, you can write in the, the letter E and then slide a V in there and then zero for the O. Uh. The, the story, according to Texas A&M, is that uh, the University of Texas caretakers kind of painted over it to say, oh, no, this was his name, and, and A&M did nothing with that. But according to everything that I saw from the University of Texas is that is completely false. So basically what happened was there was a, uh, a wealthy man who donated this mascot to the university and presented it to them at the Thanksgiving Day, Thanksgiving Day game that they would traditionally, traditionally play, which they should again. Um, <laughs> And they chose a steer as their mascot because of its burnt orange hide, which I think is kind of a cool reason. I didn't realize that that was the connection. So hmm. burnt orange and white being the the school colors for the University of Texas. Um, they've got uh, the largest bass drum in the world, Big Bertha. Now, we talked on our Big Ten podcast that the Purdue drum was claimed as the biggest uh, bass drum in the world, or bass drum, I should say. It's not a fish. <laughs> I was going to say, um, is that the biggest fish drum? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've got a little, uh, I got a little cherry uh, friend of mine that's uh, giving me some courage here. But um, so, in reading a, a story about it, it's actually Big Bertha at the University of Texas is bigger, and uh, one one way to know that is the dimensions of how big the Purdue drum is our secret. So if you knew that yours was bigger, you would certainly flaunt it. Uh, and we'll save jokes for that. But, um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the university of Texas will give you their dimensions and say, this is exactly how big it is. And we, we lay claim that it is. So, um, now, the, uh, the Eyes of Texas fight song is probably one of the more well-known fight songs. And if you watch any Texas game, you hear it over and over and over and over. And it's music to your ears if you're wearing the burnt orange. But if not, it can get a little bit um, wearing on you. But uh, it's to the tune of I've Been Working on the Railroad. And fans will sing in unison with their horns uh, up in the air. Now, what are those horns we talk about? Well, one thing, Bip, that I love about... Big 12 football is these Texas schools and their hand signal traditions. So here in the North, we're used to seeing one typical hand signal that uh, people like to give me on the road. Mm -hmm. But uh, down in Texas, uh, at the University of Texas in Austin, basically what you do is you put your pointer and pinky fingers up to resemble the horns of Bevo the steer. And it was started by Henry HK Pitts in 1955 out of jealousy because Texas A&M, again, a team that they should be playing every year. Um, they have the gigum uh, sign where you basically put a thumbs up. And so, um, he thought, why don't we have a sign and outdo the Aggies? So he kind of got a bunch of students together and at a pep rally said, let's put our horns up to resemble Bevo. Well, of course, a stuffy university dean was not happy about it. And when this was shown, he discouraged it and said, absolutely not. We're a school of class. And nonetheless, what happens whenever somebody of school authority tells you not to do something, the students all in unison do it anyway. So um, they did that and they've been hooking them ever since. 
Um, and then one other final one here at the University of Texas is Smokey the Cannon, which uh, after every score, similar to many other schools, will have some sort of audible uh, indication of points. Smokey the Cannon goes off in the Red McCombs North End Zone. And not only do they have them for all home games, but on select away games, like particularly the Red River Rivalry and other big Big 12 games, they will take Smokey the Cannon on the road to give them that little extra oomph. So we start with Texas and we mentioned the Red River rivalry. Uh, Bip, do you want to tell us what they do down in Norman, Oklahoma? Yeah. And kudos to you for being able to say Red River rivalry after saying Bastrom. Um, we are <laughs> yeah, right. going to go to Norman, Oklahoma for the Sooners. And the reason why they're called the Sooners is obviously Oklahoma is called the Sooner state. And this dates back to the land rush of 1889. So, President Benjamin Harrison proclaimed that the unassigned lands uh, were to be open for settlement on April 22nd, 1889. So people would line up for this, and I believe it was at noon to where he would fire off a gun, and they would just make a mad dash to any open lands that weren't settled, and people could put down and lay claim to those. So as like people like Friday then, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they, as those that uh, awaited the time, when the race uh, to, to the open lands officially started, there were those that cheated the system and actually entered the land secretly. They hid in ditches and before the uh, um, so that way, once the the gun went off and people would race to these lands, they would already have state claim to them. Uh, so those folks that did that were then labeled as Sooners. Obviously, nice. if you were caught, then you were um, not able to keep those lands. So um but uh, those who were able to get get away with it did so. And that ties into the number one saying for the Oklahoma Sooners, which is Boomer Sooner. So Boomers were the people who campaigned for the unassigned land to be opened before the Indian Appropriations Act of 1889. So it's a combination of those who wanted to open up the land and those who tried to settle it before the assigned time was allotted to them. So in saying boomer sooner, it's kind of a combination of uh, the before and after of those two uh, classifications of people in Oklahoma. Sure. Um, one of their greatest traditions is the sooner Schooner, And this is the official mascot of Oklahoma. It's a covered wagon that has been used since 1964 it's pulled by twin ponies, Boomer and Sooner, and driven by the Roughnecks, which is their spirit squad. And you can see that um, racing across the field before uh, Oklahoma uh, home games. The uh, pregame chant that the Sooners have is the Boomer Sooner chant. And during warmups of every game, the cheerleaders will start up a chant between the two sides of the stadium in which one yells Boomer. And as you guessed it, the other side will return with Sooner. Sooner. Oh, okay. I was wondering where you're going with that one. <laughs> so that wraps it up with uh, the Sooners of Oklahoma. Chappie, why By the way, you... Pip, did you, uh, did you happen to see the, uh, you had one job last year when the, uh, the Sooner wagon dragged one of their uh, roughnecks. Yeah, he <laughs> was him. hanging on for all he was worth, I tell you. <laughs> it's funny now that we know he didn't get hurt. but uh... <laughs> Yeah, he may have lost the back of his shirt, but uh, outside of that, he seemed to be no worse for the wear. <laughs> right, well, and going back to your... Um... Your uh, sooner story there, that's a case where the early bird really gets the shaft, not the worm. So, right. <laughs> yeah. so well, let's, kick, let's kick it back over to your side there, Chappie. Who you got uh, coming up next? 
Well, um, kind of transitioning from Oklahoma, back when Oklahoma got back into the thick of college football uh, supremacy, Mike Leach was once a coach at Oklahoma and went over to Texas Tech. So I'm going to go down to Lubbock, Texas, in the west side of the Lone Star State and talk about the folks who like to wreck them and put their guns up. So first of all, the Red Raiders nickname was given by Collier Collier Parrish, a sports editor of the Lubbock Morning Avalanche, um, mainly because their teams wore all red uniforms and because of their rigorous coast-to-coast schedule. So they were going all over the place trying to conquer their opponents, hence the name Red Raiders. Uh, Raider Red is their costume mascot who really looks a lot like a uh, a uh, decked in black Yosemite Sam character. Uh, <laughs> and you and I are big fans of the, the, that cartoon. So I can appreciate that. Yep, yep. Um, they also have probably a little bit cooler mascot and maybe a little bit more, uh, on the suave side, the masked writer who serves as their official mascot and has really become one of the most striking icons of Texas tech culture. So each year the student writer and their horse fearless champion, make hundreds of appearances to promote Texas Tech spirit at Goodwill, or I'm sorry, in Goodwill at athletic events, rodeos, parades, and other functions around the west side of that state. Now, we talked about hand signals, and we uh, at Texas Tech, they have what they call guns up, which is pretty simple. You put your uh, thumbs out and your pointer finger extended to resemble, like you can imagine, guns, um, and raise <laughs> toward the sky as though you're getting ready for a western shootout and, and you're not backing down, you're ready for a fight. Uh, I think one of the coolest post-touchdown sounds in the uh, in the Big 12 is the ringing of uh, the victory bells at Texas Tech, or Bang and Bertha, as they call it. Again, save your jokes. Um, <laughs> but it comes from a line in their fight song, and they ring these bells after every Tech score. And I noticed that last year, watching some of their uh, game film, their receivers like to wave their arms as though they're uh, ecstatic. Uh, Nathan Vasher was known for doing that as well as Antoine Wesley, and they certainly got their share of uh, touchdowns last season. Their spirit squad is called the Saddle Tramps. Um, kind of a questionable name, but they love them down there. And a cool tradition that no longer really is sanctioned, although some students still do it, um, and you might get a kick out of this bip, is throwing tortillas. So what they would do <laughs> is after the first score, um, they would throw tortillas out onto the field, and preferably if they could get it towards the opposing players, they would do so, given the location near the, the Mexican border um, out in Tex-Mex area there, there in, in western Texas. So that's Texas Tech for us, Bip. Um, who can you come back with next that uh, gives us some good traditions? Well, we'll go from the Raiders to Pistol Pete, and we'll start off with uh, Oklahoma nice. State. So the Cowboys, as they are known, um, got this name back when Oklahoma State was actually known as Oklahoma A&M, and their mascot's pet what or their their school's mascot at that time was a pet tiger which is the reason for the black and orange colors that they uh still have which is a cool side note while yeah. the school was looking for a new mascot a group of students saw frank eaton who uh as i researched a little bit was kind of a, a real life cowboy leading the armistice day parade they approached him and kind of created a caricature of him, which uh, it closely resembles what we see today as Pistol Pete. So that design um, actually is still very similar to, to what we have today. And this led the the use of the, the Cowboys mascot 
And um, although they were known as both the Cowboys and the Aggies until um, 1957, when they officially changed from Oklahoma A&M to Oklahoma State, um, today they they um, only go by the Cowboys. Um, the sayings that they have, they have a couple ones. Uh, one of them being uh, "Go Pokes," and the other one um, they have. They say that they have orange power. One um, one cool thing that they have is uh, known as America's Greatest Homecoming, and they really pride themselves of having one of, if not the best homecoming um, in the entire country. And at this, uh, more than fifty thousand alumni visit during the Oklahoma State homecoming every year, and that doesn't even include uh, those that attend the game. So while at the uh, homecoming and other home games um, at Oklahoma State, uh, fans can be um, sure that they'll see Bullet and the Oklahoma State Spirit Rider. And this is a horse and and the rider that accompany the band and trot onto the field before every Oklahoma State home game. So Hmm. that that about wraps us up uh, in Bedlam there, Chappie. Uh, Kick it back over to you and uh, see what's coming up next in the Big 12. Well, uh, the best segue I can think of is Oklahoma State, we think offense, as we do with most of these Big 12 teams, but um, I'm going to give you a team that prides itself on defense, and that's the TCU Horned Frogs. So their famous sayings are, fear the frog and give them hell. So um, the Horned Frog nickname is kind of interesting, and it really took presence... uh, because of the fact that the alternative was cactus. <laughs> so <laughs> it was either we're going to be the horned frogs or we're going to be cactus. And okay. cactus was a name given uh, because, um, you know, you find it out there. But uh, many school leaders thought, well, the University of Texas already had their newsletter called the cactus and they didn't want to seem like copycats. So the name horned frog, uh, pun intended, jumped into the university's athletic circles. Um their mascot known as super frog it's a costumed mascot and i'm going to give credit to waitfornextyear.com they gave it a good description they said imagine the predator uh from the movie the predator but without the laser cannon the wrist blades or dreads um he he does kind of look like a supernatural type uh uh warrior although uh, its claim to fame was it was named the uh the most identifiable identifiable and the coolest mascot by um I can't think of the publication now, but it won some award a couple of years ago. Um, so good yeah, for and, you, Super Frog. <laughs> and, and it's kind of cool because it, it's got a personable look to it while still looking like it could be, you know, a feared athlete. Um, right. Or, you know. <laughs> yep. And he definitely, he does get active. Probably one of the more active and one of the, uh, yeah. the cooler uh, costume mascots in the Big 12. So um they uh, they also have a hand signal. They basically imagine gripping a fastball on a baseball bip. Um, so you curl your thumb and pinky and ring fingers inward uh, to the center of your palm, while you have if you if you put up almost like a peace sign and then curl your uh, middle and pointer fingers down a little bit, almost like it's uh, you know uh, two fingers ready to strike. I can't think of any other way to describe it. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but uh, yeah, 
for you baseball fans, imagine gripping a fast, a two seam fastball. So that's their hand signal um, to resemble the frogs ready to strike, which um, learned this a couple of years ago. The horned frog actually to intimidate its opponents or its uh, predators will squirt blood out of its eyes. And that's where if you look <laughs> carefully at the, uh, the TCU uniforms, there is red um, in some of their uniforms. They'll also put it on the field sometimes. I was watching a TCU basketball game earlier today, and they have red inside the key. So if you're wondering what the heck is that red around the purple and white, that's where that red comes from. It's supposed to be the intimidation of the blood squirting eyes. Huh. Um, they have uh, quite possibly the loudest horn in college football. So at the south end of Amon G. Carter Stadium, which is a beautifully redone stadium out there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, it's 3,000 pounds, and it was built for TCU in 1994 at the request of some alumni who remembered a train whistle prank from a game in the late 50s, according to TCU Magazine. So it's this big tin covered uh contraption which looks like a uh uh a built over uh volkswagen uh van and it's got blinking lights and smoke coming out of two exhausts and it's said that it produces a sound of about 100 decibels that can be heard at about 100 feet away so you're definitely going to need your earplugs there and if you are playing a tcu team led by sunny cumby's offense and they're churning out the points that thing can get old real fast um one of the cooler traditions is their Riff Ram cheer, which uh, I'm bear with me on this one. It's one of the oldest remaining cheers left in college sports, and it goes something like this: Riff Ram, boo, or I'm sorry, Riff Ram, ba, zoo, lickety, lickety, zoo, zoo, woo, wah, wah, woo, who, give them hell, TCU. They did a feature <laughs> on that on College Game Day, and they did a much better job than old Chappie here could do. But um, it's something that uh, you hear it, and you're like, "Are they speaking gibberish? Am I am I in America here?" But um, <laughs> it's uh, it's something that they hold true, and it's it's a longstanding tradition out there in Fort Worth, and and they they cling to it. So the Bleacher Creatures and all those other super fans out there in Fort Worth and Gary Patterson, they've got it going on. So. Bip, uh, save me from that uh, riff ram cheer and, and tell us who you got down the pipe in Big 12 country. Well, from TCU to T Pain, we're going to talk about some cyclones, Chappie. And uh, right. <laughs> go with the Iowa State Cyclones. And their, their nickname uh, dates back to 1895. And that year, Iowa suffered from a lot of tornadoes, or as they were more commonly known back then, cyclones. Now, the. Uh, the Cyclones traveled to Northwestern and Evanston that year and beat them. Close your ears, Chappie. Thirty-six nothing. The the <laughs> next day, <laughs> yeah. The the next day, the Chicago Tri- Tribune wrote, "Struck by a cyclone, it comes from Iowa and devastates Evist- Evanston town. Northwestern might as well have tried to play football with an Iowa Cyclone, as it was the Iowa team, at, or as with the Iowa team it met yesterday." So from that article the name kind of struck and iowa state had its nickname moving forward nice um at iowa state games you can be you can be sure that you're going to hear a usa chant at some point so iowa state usually honors a member of the military during an on-field ceremony during some break in in each home game and this ends up getting followed by a usa chant from the student section in addition to that, the chant also happens uh, after the band plays a national anthem at just about every home game. So I thought that that was pretty cool um, yeah. for that to break out so frequently at uh, home football games at um, in Iowa State. 
the running up the steps is kind of a cool tradition that I uh, read about. And what this refers to is for every every home game, especially the big ones, the students line up and uh, as they await being led into the stadium, they all kind of gather around. And once the once the gates open, they make a mad dash up the steps so they can get the best seats um in the student section as it's not a sign it's kind of first come first serve so yeah uh, kind of a nice adrenaline rush before the game and uh, uh a nice way to see who's had a few too many at tailgating to see how many uh people biff it up the steps <laughs> I, I might be in that crowd even uh sober so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so that's what we have uh with the cyclones chappy why don't you uh tell us about that little known place in manhattan kansas and uh take us over to the wildcats Oh, dang. I was going to go with uh, a Baylor joke for uh, <laughs> all the farmers in Iowa, but I'll go to uh, <laughs> Manhattan, the little apple, they call it. Um, so the <laughs> um, the word is family that they use at Kansas State. Now, this is a term that if you've been involved in any sort of football team in the last 10 years, family is probably one of the more watered down terms. But um, I give credit to Bill Snyder, who recently retired from Kansas State after serving not one but two go-rounds in Manhattan and doing a wonderful job. Um, the family slogan is really something that he perpetuated, and um, so much to the fact that the stadium was named after him, the Bill Snyder Family Stadium, um, and it kind of goes to show that the way that they built such a program there in the little apple was the fact that you really have to have a buy-in and there's that old saying that it takes a village to raise a family and and that's what was needed out there um, at k-state so speaking of which k uh, K k-state is the preferred term for alumni and for people around the universities so kansas state university is their official name but for athletics uh if you are in the know you're going to refer to them as k-state they are the wildcats um, also purple, so kind of a little place in my heart for these guys. Um, through its first 19 seasons of athletic competition, Kansas State actually used the term Aggies, as many teams did at that point, because there were a lot of agricultural schools out in the country, open lands of pretty much nothing. Um, and funny story here, Bip, prior to 1915, new coach John Chief Bender, same name as the guy in the breakfast club, um, <laughs> gave his gave his squad the nickname the Wildcats. Well, it all, he only lasted one year and was fired. So the next year, um, the new coach, Z.G. Clevenger, said that they were going to be known as the Farmers. Big upgrade. Um, <laughs> so then in 1920, after he was uh, no longer the coach, new coach Charles Bachman took over the program and reclaimed the name Wildcats, and it's stuck ever since. So I think that Wildcats is a little bit more ferocious than the Farmers, but certainly better than Nebraska's old bug eaters. Yeah. Well, when Bender was fired, did the students all say B-O-O-H-O-O? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> they wondered what was that ruckus. So, um so their color is actually just one color. It's royal purple, um, although white has been used as a complementary color, and also silver has been added, and for good use, because prior to Bill Snyder getting there, that uh, kind of that dull purple color was used in white. It wasn't really a good look, but that purple and silver, and then even a little bit of black trim and white, I think that's a cool look for K-State. Yeah, I like that um, silver. Yeah, um, they have something called the Wabash Cannonball, and it's a song. It's basically a secondary fight song. Now, this is one of the cooler stories regarding fight songs. 
Um, back in 1968, the music department burnt down, which I know really only affected the music department. But um, <laughs> every piece of music in the building was destroyed except for the music, uh, uh, the paperwork music for this song, the Wabash Cannonball. So having an upcoming basketball game in a couple of days and no music to play from, uh, the band members quickly made copies uh, and played this song loud and often. So this is a song that you can hear quite frequently through Bill Snyder Family Stadium out there in Manhattan. So kind of a cool thing in addition to their uh, traditional fight song. Their slogans are Purple Pride, Eat em Up, Eat em Up KSU, and then also the acronym EMA or E-M-A-W, which stands for Every Man a Wildcat. Not to be confused with Mima, who is the grandmother of Sheldon Cooper. So, <laughs> um, And then one other cool story is they do have one game every year, a home game, which they call Harley Day, where Willie the Wildcat, the costume mascot, rides in in a leather jacket on a Harley, and he's followed by a, about 50 other bikers, which... Biking is kind of a, uh, a bigger thing out there in uh, the open lands of Kansas. And so that's kind of a cool thing to have coming out onto the field and the players um, preceding that out in, um, in Manhattan. Bip. So um, what can you top with that? Well, you got, you got burned down music building. Uh, where do you go from there? <laughs> well, let's try to brighten your spirits and go from Manhattan to Morgantown. We'll go to West Virginia. All right. And they are known as the Mountaineers, and there's really not a, a reason given other than the mountainous area and the history of the citizens of West Virginia. But their their mascot is the uh, one of the cooler live action mascots in the country. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, just a mountain man that wears a coonskin hat, carries around a musket and um, really does a great job, uh, like like many other live action mascots um, that don't wear the the you know the the big old mascot um uh that you would see at a at a theme park or something like that gets the right. crowd pumped up um and the the firing of the musket that uh is performed by their mascot is is one of their their coolest things and the mountaineer carries around this this period musket and uh, a powder horn and he fires a shot to signal to the crowd to begin cheering and he also fires this off after each score so um, similar to cannons that are used. I think it's pretty cool that they have this, this musket that fires blanks um, after each score from, from West Virginia. Now, the the cheer that they have that's uh, maybe most known um, during the games is the student sectional cheer, let's go, and the rest of the stadium will then join in and say Mountaineers in their back-and-forth cheer. And... The unofficial school song is Take Me Home Country Roads by John Denver. And I watched a couple of videos of this, and it's actually pretty cool. As it's played over the loudspeaker, you can hear the entire stadium join in and start to sing, which you wouldn't think that a John Denver song would be so right. openly accepted by you know college football fans or the student section. But they Especially all join in. in Especially in uh, Morgantown. <laughs> right. They seem a little bit rowdier than John Denver down there. Go, so. go back to the Rockies. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, but no, for anyone that uh, hasn't seen that, check it out on YouTube. There's a couple of videos of it. It was actually a pretty cool scene. And they actually, I saw, and I think this is kind of cool, on the back flap of their helmet, it actually says um, Country Road, I believe. So okay. um, it's either that or Take Me Home, one of the two. But nonetheless, it's an homage to the uh, the song and, and Mr. Denver. <laughs> well, last year in uh, handsome, 
handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so similar to you, Chappie. Uh, let's try to segue John Denver over to your last team in Baylor. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I got nothing. I got Baylor. So. <laughs> um, so the Baylor Bears, um, I got to tell you, uh, spoiler alert, this is going to be a boring mascot story. So, Yay! Well, this uh, is Aggies. Yeah. Well, the Baylor Bears got their name because, <laughs> drumroll please, the students voted on it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> right? Yeah, wave the little pennant, <laughs> the Homer Simpson pennant. Um, so, but they beat out the uh, the rival names Buffalo, Eagle, Antelope, Bear, well, bear was one, but bookworms were the other name that was thrown out there. So thank well, God they're not the Baylor bookworms. Well, that's bad. But who the hell threw out antelope as well as one of the? Well, here's a here's a selection choice. Well, the only was thing I could think of. Well, the only thing I could think of was the the old uh, Texas song "Home on the Range" where the deer and the antelope play. But uh, yeah, I would still go with deer over antelope. So. Even still, it's a song about deer playing with antelope. There's yeah. nothing ferocious about that, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, that's a conversation on another podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so they do have a live bear mascot, which they don't bring into the stadium, but it is housed in the Baylor Chamber of Commerce on campus. And the name for that uh, live mascot is Judge in honor of the university's namesake, Judge R.E.B. Baylor, which I always wondered where the Baylor name came from. I assumed it was okay. from a person, but that's who it is. Um their color scheme is pretty interesting. It's green and gold. And so where they got this was on a train going to Bryan, Texas for a debate tournament. Yeah, debate tournament. Uh-huh. Um, a, uh, a student member looked out of the window and noticed the beautiful color of wild spring dandelions that marked the vivid yellow and green flowers that made a lovely combination, according to them. So that's where the green and gold comes from. I think that's kind of a, a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, me personally, I would have gone with the Texas blue bonnet color, but uh, green and gold is a good second place. Right, right. Um, their hand signal is a bear claw. And so what they do is kind of cool. It's a little bit more involved than just putting your hand up. So uh, everybody will uh, start to slowly, you'll, you'll basically uh, form a, a claw. So if you've ever seen the movie Liar Liar, you know what the claw looks like. Um, and so you slowly raise your arm up saying, hey. And once you get to above your uh, shoulder, you yell, sick them, and you swipe it down as though a bear is swiping at you. And then um, you pull it back up to your uh, over your shoulder and yell, bear. So it's, hey, sick them, bears. And when you pull it back up above your shoulder, it's to resemble a bear pulling out the still beating heart from its prey and holding it up as trophy to say, I got you and I am dominant. So that's kind of a cool story nice. with their... Um, with their hand signal, um, their chance, they, they like to be loud on defense and then they're told to be absolutely quiet on offense so that their signal callers and their players can know what's going on and they can run their offense to execution. Um, they like to yell, rip them up, tear them up, sick them bears, which is kind of cool. Um, and then another interesting tradition that they have out there on the Brazos River is called sail gators. So they will have uh, various boats and you know, it's it's a fairly affluent community out there in um, in Waco, Texas. So they uh, there's some nice boats that sail up to the Brazos River, and then they'll go to McLean Stadium to catch a Baylor Bears football game, which has been a much better product in at least the last ten years than it had been in previous decades. Uh-huh. Um, 
And then another interesting thing, in 2022, if Texas and Texas A&M don't play every year like they should, um, TCU and Baylor will have the longest standing rivalry in the state of Texas. I didn't know that. I thought that maybe TCU and SMU would have a longer one because they play for the Iron Skillet. But um, Baylor and TCU are the second longest and will soon be the longest standing rivalry that has been um, going ever since the uh, the late 1800s. So, wow. That's uh, that's Baylor, and I think that wraps it up. Or do you have one more for us, Bip? I actually have the University of Kansas that I'll, I'll talk about just for a minute here. And the uh, the mascot of of the of Kansas is the Jayhawks, and this is actually a mythical bird that's a, a mix between a, a blue jay and a sparrow hawk. So. During the 1850s, the Kansas Territory was a battleground for feuding factions, the abolitionists against the those that wanted a state in which slavery would be legal. So these two sides would loot, rustle cattle, steal horses, and then attack each other's settlements. So the ruffians on each side were called Jayhawks uh, in reference to their behavior. And this carried on through the Civil War when the Jayhawk image was, was actually used by the impassioned people who wanted to make Kansas a free state. So it's a, a reference into that for the um, those that uh, were on the winning side of the, the Civil War in Kansas. Right. Now, their colors are crimson and blue, and this is kind of interesting. It's um, an, an homage to the, the crimson comes from um, the – well, actually, let me take a step back. The early discussions uh, by the university was they wanted maize and sky blue to be the colors, but in honor of Colonel John McCook, a Harvard grad who had – given a lot of money for athletic fields, they decided that crimson needed to be one of the colors. And many of the early uh, staff members were graduates of Yale. So they wanted Yale blue to be reflected in the university. So crimson and blue was actually kind of the combination of Yale and Harvard. Um, and that's Harvard. the second school that we've talked about that has done that color combination right. for that same reason. Ole Miss was the other one. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, I like that. It's a cool homage to not only the the some of the founding schools of the country, but you know the the big traditional football powers uh, when the sport first started. So yeah, for sure. What what everyone might know, whether you're a college football fan or basketball fan or or just a a college sports uh, college athletics fan, is the Rock Chalk Jayhawk chant and. This chant is going to go similarly to yours with Baylor, Chappie. Of, um, <laughs> Do me one up, Bip. Do it better. <laughs> this, this isn't uh, the debate club, but the chant started by the science club. And uh, the it was originally <laughs> it was originally rah rah Jayhawk KU, and they said that they said this three times. So an English professor stepped in and suggested that they change rah rah to rock chalk because it rhymes, and due to the chalky limestone formations found on Mount, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get this right, Mount Oread, or Oread uh, which is the hill on which uh, Kansas University is located. So they changed it, and now the chant goes, Rock Chalk Jayhawk, KU. And they say that three times and really emphasize the KU on the third time. So thank you to the science and the English department at uh, Kansas University. We have one of the more well-known chants in college athletics. Here, here's a quick rundown of how that conversation went. Yes, I'm Professor Starvings from the English department. I <laughs> propose that we have rock chalk as our chant. Oh, really? And why is that, Professor Starvings? It rhymes. <laughs> that is all. <laughs> right. 
Good one. Good one, Professor. Yep. Now we are in uh, college <laughs> athletics lore because we have a chant that rhymes. Yeah. Yeah. Three cheers for Dr. Seuss over here. Um, (laughs) So that wraps up the University of Kansas and our discussion about the Big 12 traditions, Chappie. We got through another conference. Yes, we did. And, you know, it's it's fun getting into the history and the reasons why you see some of these things, because, you know, like we've talked about, uh, I will always be a college football fan over an NFL fan every day. There will never be anything that will swing me the other direction. So uh, one of the big reasons why is all these little tidbits that they do. I mean, professional fans, their tradition basically is to get drunk and to sometimes be jerks at professional games and complain about players making too much money. Well, for the time being anyway, and and I hope to God in my lifetime that this always stays, you don't have that argument to make for college athletics. And um, these little hand signals and these uh, old stories and these chants and traditions and these rhyming chants, thank you, KU, um, are things that definitely set the college game apart from the pros well and the program the program the program just doesn't have the debate club or the science club either to come up with these traditions and chants either no yep nor nor is there any ever is there ever going to be a an nfl expansion team known as the bookworms or the praying colonels (laughs) or or the the bug bug eaters eaters. (laughs) right (laughs) or the antelopes no or the antelope yeah (laughs) so well, Bip, uh, it's time for victory formation and to take a knee and hand the ball back to the official, bro-hug each other and walk away feeling good about another performance. So we want to thank all of you for listening, especially those who are back again. We hope you got what you were wanting out of this podcast. And if the jury's still out, go ahead, tune in next week for or later in the week for the next podcast, where we're going to get more into the nuts and bolts of the actual teams and what happened in 2018 in the Big 12. One thing's for sure, we will always have lots of information for you to help get you your fix until next week's, or I'm sorry, until week zero's kickoff, which by the way, Bip, is now down to 24 weeks away, and we might even get treated with Florida and Miami in week zero, so crossing our fingers. Yeah, boy, boy wouldn't that be cool. Yep. Uh, Brock Berlin, we need you for the coin toss, please. Um, <laughs> we strongly hope that you continue to listen, but more importantly, spread the word and help us be heard. And if you like what you hear and are propelled to do so, go ahead and rate us with an honest, positive review if you feel inclined to do so. Um, if this medium that you're listening to us on right now is not your first choice, you do have the options of listening to Bowl Full of Chips on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and Radio Public. So choose which best one fits you. On our next episode, like I said, we're going to recap the offensive, but not offensive, Big 12 season, which saw a lot of excitement and entertainment on the gridiron and certainly a boatload of points. Thanks for listening to A Bowl Full of Chips. I am Chappie. I am Bip. And remember, biggest isn't always best, so thanks for choosing the right over the rest. Later. Later.